Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Before we knew about anything that was going to happen in 2020, uh, we decided that we were going to come around so SOW, and we were going to use this vision, uh, this concept to say, you know what, we're, we're looking to sow the seed of God's word into the good soil of our heart so that it will begin to pr- produce things in us that we just simply can't produce on our own. And so we've just been in that journey all year long, you know, haven't really wavered from that. And, and I don't know, for maybe just for me personally, I don't know, hopefully for you as well, as we've sort of gone through the seasons of this year and looking at the different fruit of the Spirit uh, that, that God wants to produce in us that we can't produce on our own, it's just been amazing how this has all sort of transpired in that way and, and used each of those fruits, the idea of love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and those kind of things, even in these seasons, and even as the culture around us, um, and how we react to these things, it's been so productive. I hope it has been for you, as it has been for me. So we're, we're looking at that idea of so, and we're looking at the, the word goodness, the word goodness, and it's the Greek word, it's this word, agathosune, Agathosune, and it, that word goodness in, the, in Galatians 5, when, when the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the, the idea of goodness, is an active, aggressive approach to produce goodness. It's an active, aggressive approach to produce goodness, not only in ourselves, but in, in, in others. And so we've been looking at uh, stories of Jesus that we would say that it was a, truly an active, aggressive approach that he would take in order for goodness to be produced. And so we've been looking at stories like things like when Jesus, you know, caused the, the fig tree to wither and he cursed the fig tree. And if you were with Jesus, when he's talking to a fig tree, you would, be, you would say things like, oh my goodness, Jesus, like <laughs> calm down. Like it's just a fig tree. And the issue was is that it wasn't producing any fruit. It wasn't producing any fruit. And so that was a, that was a Jesus had, was, had, a, had a problem with that. And we looked at, you know, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Jesus walking into the temple and seeing money changers, you know, ripping people off. And, and, and Jesus angered Jesus to the point where Jesus, you know, made a, you know, a whip. He, made, he t- literally took the time to make a whip and he was whipping these money changers out of the temple temple you know and he was so angry that he flipped over the table I mean if you're with Jesus at that moment you would say to yourself oh my goodness Jesus like but this was Jesus's active aggressive approach why to produce goodness so we've been saying things like even when an experience isn't perceived as good. So if you were with the disciples that day when Jesus curses a fig tree or when he turns a you know, money t- table over, when you were with Jesus that day, you would, you would, it would be perceived as not good. But when God does it, it's good. When God does it, it's good. And so we looked at um, last Sunday... Um, from, from my home to, to your home, uh, we looked at um, Matthew 18, and, and it goes like this, and it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like the audacity of these guys to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, who's going to be the greatest? As a matter of fact, on one occasion, they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, 
Who gets to, when we, when we get into your kingdom, who gets to be on your right and who gets to be on your left? Like, who gets to have the prominent position of authority and greatness in your kingdom? Which one of us, Jesus, gets to have that position? And so Jesus says this in, in this particular occasion in Matthew account in, in chapter 18. says this in verse number 2. He says, and he called a child to himself and set him before them. So they're in a, 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 a crowded area. They're talking to Jesus and Jesus sees a, a child and he grabs this child and he places him before them. And he says, then he says this in verse 3. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted or unless you rethink or change your mindset or, you know, reconsider and become like Children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's like, you need to think and have, and you've heard this before if you're a Christian, you, you and I need to have faith like a child. We need to have childlike faith. And, and the example that we gave last week was, you know, think, you need to have like that transparency like a child. You know, where you don't ever wonder what that child is thinking or you never wonder what their child needs because they let you know what they're thinking. They let you know what they need. It's just need that, that transparency. You need that carefreeness. Like, I don't know how I'm going to be provided for and it doesn't really matter. I just know that my father or I just know that my parents are going to provide for me. They're going to take care of me. It's just that carefree nature that Jesus wants us to have when it comes to our relationship with him. He wants us to be transparent with him. He wants to be carefree with him. He wants us to be persistent. You know how our kids, you know kids, you've been around kids, they're persistent. They're persistent. They always are, you know, pushing and wanting certain things and they're going to not quit on it, not give up on it. And that's the way that God wants us to be. God wants us to be happy. You know, I hope that you have kids or you know kids that are that are happy your kids are happy that's the way that God wants us to be so he's saying I this is this is the mindset that I want you to have when it comes to your faith I want you to know I want you to know that you can be transparent that you can be persistent and I know I want you to know you can be carefree and you can be happy when it comes to your relationship with God because he's got you take he's got it covered just like you're going to provide for your grandkids and you're going to provide for your kids and make sure that they have everything they need God wants us to know that our Heavenly Father will do the same for us. And he says, guys, this is the mindset. Like this child that he placed before them, like this child, I want you to be converted like him or her. This little child, I want you to be converted. I want you to think in that way. And then he elaborates even more, verse 4. He says, whoever then humbles himself as this child, here's what he says, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, here's how you're great. By humbling yourself like this little child, by having humility, by, and, and Jesus on another occasion said, listen, here's how you're great in the kingdom of heaven, by the way that you serve one another, by the way that you serve people. Jesus said himself, Jesus said, you know what makes me great? What makes me great is not because I, I didn't come here to be served, but I came here to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. That's, that's the one job. That's the one job that you and I have. That is to serve one another. To serve others. To, Paul wrote it in this way in Philippians. He says to consider others before ourselves. To think about other people before we think about ourselves. He says that's what will make you great in the kingdom of heaven. It's humbling himself as a child. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. But then Jesus pivots. 
Look what he says. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Now, he, this is like Jesus has now changed the tone. He's like, I want you to be like this little child. But if there are these little children, if there are these little ones, I want you to know something. He says, that he is anyone who causes any of these little ones, he says, it causes any of these little ones to believe in me to stumble. Then Jesus, look what Jesus says. It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. At this point, you and I go, whoa, Jesus, relax. Whoa, Jesus, like, chill out, man. Like, you're way blowing. You're telling me that just like he had this little child in front of him, he says, if you cause this little one to stumble, it would be better for you to have a heavy weight around your neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's a little much, don't you think? a little much but it was so important for Jesus to emphasize even when something isn't experienced or perceived as good when God does it it's good and so Jesus is saying listen there are some things there are some things that you're causing little ones to stumble on and I don't like it I don't like it there are some things that you're, you and I are doing as followers of Jesus that are causing now what are little ones well little ones Jesus would describe as somebody that's new or young or weaker in the faith. They're new or young or weaker believer, okay? And, and these could be your grandchildren. These could be your children. These could be maybe somebody that you're, you know, you're, you just led to Christianity. You, you introduced them to Jesus and they're still trying to navigate through that and figure that stuff out. That, that's who Jesus is talking about. Now, there are some things, and we looked at one last week it, within this context. There are some things that we as not so new, not so young, and more mature believers don't do a great job with. Me included, you included in the room, you watching at home. There are some things that we need to do better at. So we can either be a bad example and a stumbling block, that's, that's, that's oftentimes what we are. Jesus is saying, listen, your bad example is becoming a stumbling block to your kids, your grandkids, to those who are new to the faith, you know, just being introduced to Christianity or at least considering Christianity. You're being a bad example in some of these areas and you're being a stumbling block. But let's not be a bad example. Let's instead be a good example and a stepping stone for those little ones. Let's do a better job at being a good example. Goodness is produced from this and be a stepping stone for those that are needing to mature in their faith, wanting to grow in their faith, wanting to understand what it looks like to be a, a, a great follower of Jesus, what it looks like to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and the way that you're, you're demonstrating, the example that you're showing as, as what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of heaven is because you have decided, I'm going to serve one another. I'm going to love people, and I'm going to consider people before myself. This is the kind of example that we ought to be showing everyone, everyone. Now, you know this, as a parent or a grandparent that have introduced into your home little ones, little ones, 
specifically little ones that are trying to figure out how to walk, right? Now, your job as a mature believer, okay? So I'm just going to assume, I'm going to assume those of you that are in the room and those of you who are watching are mature believers, mature believers, okay? You welcome a little one into the house. They're, they're in, in your house. They're, they're trying to figure out how to walk, you know, and you're, you're not going to, you're not going to put anything in their way for them to stumble, are you? I mean, this is as practical as it gets, right? No, 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 no. You, because of your love, because of your, of your maturity and your faith, and because of your, the fact that you're just, you're just here to serve that little one, and you're just here to love that little one and to help that little one walk, you're not going to put anything in their path that will cause them to stumble. As a matter of fact, on the contrary, you're going to make sure that the whole room is cleared out so that they can have a clear path to learn how to walk. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? You, you know those, um, you, you maybe have had those in your house before, but as my kids were learning to walk and getting a little bit more mobile, isn't it true, though, that you like want them so badly to, to start walking, but then once they start walking, you wish they didn't walk? And then you start to, you know, like figure, have to figure out ways to keep them safe. And so one of the things that they've invented, and we, we all have had, if you've had experiences with kids like that, is, that, is the gates, the gates that go in front of the steps, right? The gates that go in front of the steps. You have that gate there. Why? To prevent them out of your love for them. You have that gate there to prevent them from falling down steps. And even though, how many, I don't know, I'm just trying to be honest as a parent. How many of you, that was sort of annoying sometimes? Because you're like, you, you're trying to like get, you know, the, you know like you're like in a hurry to get somewhere like downstairs or upstairs and you're like, oh, the gate. And you're like, and then, and then for me, I'm a little cl- kind of a klutz. And so I like knock it over, you know, like trying to get, get my leg over the gate. So sometimes it's a little aggravating. Sometimes it's a little of a nuisance, but you don't, you don't care about that because you want to make sure that they don't stumble down the steps. But as a young person, as a young person, as a child, you also want to make sure that they mature and they grow into that to where when they're not 7 or 10 or 12 or 15, that they're, you're not still needing gates, Right? Like if, if you are, if you have kids, like my kids are, you know, 7, 11, 12, and 14. If I still need to have gates in my house for my kids, I've got a problem. If my kids are still falling down the steps at that age, I've got a problem. But, but the point is, is this. As a mature believer, our job is simply just to love the young, right? As a mature is to love. But as a young, they need to grow and mature in their knowledge, in, their, in the ways that they walk so that they don't stumble down the stairs. Jesus addresses, we looked at one last week, Jesus addresses one area which we oftentimes are a stumbling block instead of a stepping stone. And we, we label it as reaching the unchurched. The second one that we're looking at today is this, resolving conflict. Resolving conflict, okay? Now, this process, 
this process is not to be applied to non-Christians. So we're going to talk about a process, but this is where it, should, it never should be applied. It, it should never apply to non-Christians. It should never apply to ch- your children. It should never apply to your children, and it should never apply to your spouse, the spouse, your spouses, your spouse. It should never apply to your marriage or your children and to non-Christians. So we're going to talk about this process, but you shouldn't apply this process to this these categories, these group of people, because there's different rules for these group of people, and that's another sermon for another time. But but everyone else, anyone else, specifically a brother and sister in Christ, specifically, you know, a, a relationship that you have outside of this context, you should apply this process. And what I've discovered is, is that this process has not been applied, and therefore our ability to resolve conflicts has been poor, poor. I, myself included. I'm not judging you. I'm looking myself in the mirror and saying, I've got to do a better job with this process as well. But this is a biblical process that Jesus takes them through in Matthew 18 to help people understand how to best resolve conflict. And we need to do a better job. We need to not be a bad example and therefore be a stumbling block. We need to be a good example and therefore be a stepping stone. And how we teach our young, our new, our weaker people in the faith is by being a good example in the area of resolving conflict. Sound good? Here's what Jesus teaches in this. If your brother sins or if your brother commits an offense, if you're offended, if you're hurt, you know, if you've been mistreated, if you've been wronged, Okay. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. So here's the emphasis here first. Go. Go. And the emphasis here for Jesus is simply this. When it comes to resolving conflict, when it comes to handling problems and situations amongst you know fellow brothers and sisters in Christ amongst you know those of us that are that that we do life with how we do that is that we need to go quickly to get rid we need to go quickly and get rid in other words Jesus is saying listen if there's an offense if there's something that that somebody's hurt you or wronged you or offended you in any manner he says here's what you need to do When it comes to resolving conflict, you need to go quickly to get rid of what? Get rid of. Here's what Paul wrote in Colossians 3. He says this, But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. And he tells us, Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Paul is saying, listen, you need to, if you feel like you've been wronged, if you've think that you've been hurt, you've been offended, you know, you've been, you know, you've been mistreated. Paul says this, you need to rid yourself quickly, go quickly, and rid yourself of such things like anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. You need to rid yourself of these things. You need to get rid of these issues. Now, it's like for all of us that have battle with health things, health issues, right? 
you have something, maybe it's an issue health-wise, a virus or some, some sort of you know, issue health-wise, and you know that, man, I, I need to get rid of this thing. So you, how, what do you do? You try to schedule an appointment with a doctor, and you're like, how quickly can you get me in? How quickly can you get me in? Like, I need to get in. I need to get, you know, uh, prescribe something. I need to get a shot if necessary. How quickly can you get me in? <clears throat> a few months ago, I wasn't feeling great. I was just not, just not feeling well at all. I didn't have symptoms other than just, just felt like really cloudy and fatigued and just felt weird. And so uh, finally, it, it, it takes me just... It, it takes me a while to, to get myself to have to go and go to a doctor. I don't know if anybody else is that way. I'm just that way. And so, and it oftentimes just takes my wife to go, you need to go to a doctor. You need to go to a doctor. And I was like, okay, okay. So I went to a doctor and um, they, they, they did some t- blood work and things, did some things. And they, they, they discovered that um, through a process, they discovered that I was producing too much red blood, blood cells in my body. My body was producing way too much red blood cells and it, that was causing me to feel the way that I felt. And so he, the doctor goes, here's what you need to do. He goes, you just need to go and donate some blood. Don't go and donate blood. I go, that's it? He goes, yeah, if you go get rid of some of that blood out of your system, you're going to feel like a million times better. And I was like, I, I wanna, I, I'm, I'm going to do it as quick as I can. Why? Because I just wanted to feel better. You know, so I went and did that. I went the next day. As a matter of fact, the next day was on a Sunday, and I maybe ran out of here quicker than you maybe expected me to run out of here is because I just wanted to go get rid of some blood uh, so I can feel better. And as soon as I got rid of it, as soon as I got rid of it, I felt great. I felt great. And this is what God wants us to do when it comes to areas where we feel like we've been slighted, where we've been hurt, where we've been offended. God says, listen. Don't harbor that anger. Don't harbor that rage. Don't harbor that malice. Don't, don't start slandering them. You got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. Because it will, it, will, it, will, it will make you feel better. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 23. Jesus says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, what does he tell you to do? He says, leave your offering there before the altar and go. He says, if, you have it, if there's an unresolved issue, you need to, when you show up to church and you realize somebody has something against you, you know what Jesus would tell you to do? Leave church and go and resolve that issue. Leave church and go and resolve that issue. He says, go and be first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So you got to go quick, go and make it right, and then come back to church and catch the end of the sermon. Okay, I thought I was going to laugh at that. But here's what he's trying to tell us to do. He's saying, listen, go quickly to get rid, to get rid. Why? Because reconciliation is about reestablishing the relationship. That's so critical when it comes to our faith. It's so imperative when it comes to our faith. Why? Because Jesus would say it this way. Jesus would say, hey, if, if you're not okay this way, you're not okay this way. If this is not working for you and something this way needs to be, this is not going to work either. There's such a direct connection between the vertical relationship that we have with God and the horizontal relationship that we have with each other. That's why Jesus said, listen, there's, that, that, is, that is 
connected. That is together. That is unified. That is a package deal. You need to go quickly to get rid, to reconcile it, to reconcile it. Why? Because you need to reestablish that relationship. You need to reestablish that relationship. Then look what he says in the verse. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault. Look at it says, in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Now, in other words, Jesus is saying, go and show. Go and show, go and show. In other words, here's what he's saying. He said, you need to go in private and show where things are broken, where things are hurt, where things need to be, what things need to be reconciled in order for the relationship to be reestablished. So you need to go in private. Now, when you go, when you go, it needs to be truthful you. Truthful you. That's what you need to do. You need to go and need to be truthful you. Now, here's what happens to many of us. Here's what happens to many. In the name of grace, in the name of grace, we feel the need to sacrifice truth. In the name of grace, we feel the need to sacrifice truth. When we speak truth, we often don't know how to speak it with grace. This is oftentimes the problem that we have. But Jesus, it says this in John 1, Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth. And he was that all the time. And we have a hard time balancing that. We have a hard time balancing grace. And, we, and when we, we, you know, under the umbrella of grace, we have a hard time, you know, sacri- you know, and we sacrifice truth because of it. But yet, when we speak truth, man, it really feels like we lack a lot of grace in that. So, he's saying this. Poor ways we deal with conflict. Okay? Poor ways we deal with conflict. Number one, we talk about someone before we talk to someone. It's a poor way that we deal with conflict. We talk about someone before we talk to that someone. Another way we, poor way we deal with conflict, we write them off and move on. This is what we call now, and it's coined in this culture, cancel culture. And it's infiltrated into the church. We write people off, we write them off, and then we move on with our life. We say, you know what? They hurt me, they offended me, they wronged me. You know, they're never gonna change. They're never gonna be any better or any different. And we write them off and we move on with our life. And that's a poor way to handle conflict. Here's a third way. We hide behind our phones. We hide behind our phones. Remember Jesus' principle. You go quickly. Why? Because you need to get rid of it. And you need to show yourself in private. In other words, Jesus is saying face to face, not Facebook to Facebook. Face to face, not when it comes to conflict, when it comes to differing opinions, when it comes to, you know, uh, misunderstandings, mistreatments, you know, it's not Facebook to Facebook. It's not, you know, somebody comments on something that's against somebody else and like, 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 like. 
Like, 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 I'm not saying anything. I'm just liking what this person is saying about that person. And you know, I'm not really involved. I just, I just, you know, you see my likes, but you know, I'm not really. Listen, poor way to handle conflict. Jesus said, listen, listen, don't handle it that way. It's face to face, not Facebook to Facebook. Why? Because there's so much communication that can be misunderstood and misinterpreted. When we're just texting, when we're just, you know, writing a, a, a you know, statement on our, on our social media page, when we're doing these things, there's so much misunderstanding when it comes to communication. That's why it's never a good idea to, you know, send emails to people. It's better to have a face-to-face -face conversation, especially when it comes to resolving conflict. And in this day and in this culture and amongst a, a new generation of people, I, heard, I read a statistic this week that millennials and Gen Zs, that 57% of millennials and Gen Zs have broken up with someone over text. Not the way to handle that. Not a way. 68% have been broken up with over text, a text message. 68%. Come on. This is not the way to handle differences. This is not the way to resolve differences. Just an example of this. So Michelangelo sculpted this. This is Moses, okay? This is a, 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 a sculpt, a statue in a church in Rome, and this is a Michelangelo's Moses. Now, because of a misinterpretation of a Latin Vulgate, uh, you know, interpretation of a word in Exodus, Describing the time when Moses received the, the Ten Commandments from God the second time. And he came down off of the mountain after receiving the Ten Commandments from God the second time. That there's a word in there that describes um, uh, the, the appearance of Moses. It's the appearance of Moses. And Michelangelo took that word and misinterpreted what that word meant. It was just a word, and, it, and he misinterpreted what that word meant. Now, the next image that I'm going to show you is what is on the top of Moses' head. This is Moses, and this is also because of a misinterpretation of a word. There's many Jews in, in you know, history that have, has, have has images created with these horns, on their head. Here's why. Because this word in, this word in the Latin Vulgate, it's word keren, keren. That word keren means horn, but it also means glow. So when, when Michelangelo was creating this Moses, when Moses came down, the scripture teaches us, if you, in our English scripture, the scripture teaches us that Moses had a glow. But when, when, when Michelangelo was reading that word, he, he didn't interpret the word as glow. He interpreted the word as horns. So his sculpture of Moses was with Moses with horns on there. And there's been sculptures over time that have been made with, with Jews that have horns on their heads. 
This is what happens oftentimes when it comes to misinterpreting things. And when interpreting, misinterpreting words, misinterpreting, because there's so much that can be missed. Like body language, you know, tone, you know, uh, you know, emotion. All of these things can be missed when it comes to that. So that's why Jesus would say, come on, you got you to gotta go quickly and you got to show yourself face to face. So when you go and you show, here's some things that you need to know. I, I didn't even mean for that to rhyme, but it did. When you go and you show, there's some things you need to know. Write this down or take a picture of this. You need to have a beam check. You say, what's a beam check? A beam check is Jesus would say to you, hey, before you go and show their faults, you need to go and look at your own. You need to have a beam check. Before you go and show and point out somebody else's faults, or how they've hurt you or wronged you, you need to look yourself in the mirror and you might, need, you might find that there's a beam sticking out of your eye and you're going to point out a piece of dust in their eye. You and I need to have a beam check. Oh, it's easy for us to get offended and hurt and, and, and get emotional about that. And then, and then all of a sudden we just go and lambaste them. Hey, ah, I did it in person. I did it face to face. But listen, you need to know this. There needs to be a beam check that I'm involved with that. We need to first examine ourselves before we judge someone else. The second thing we need to do is that we need to believe the best. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume the worst. We need to believe the best. We need to believe that there was just something that you misunderstood. Just like horns on Moses' head. There's something you just didn't interpret correctly. You misunderstood something, and I just want to, I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Michelangelo, I can, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, man. I know you weren't trying to make Moses look like the devil. You were just thinking that that word was horn and not glow, and therefore, I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume the best and not the worst. And that's what we need to go when it comes to people, when it comes to resolving conflict. We need to believe the best for them. Believe the best. We need to begin with explaining and not blaming. We need to begin with explaining and not blaming. For example, blaming is a generalized thing. In other words, and we do this in, in marriage and don't do this. I do it. My wife doesn't do it. I only do it. You never. You never. Or you always right? It's just this general thing, right? Like we begin by blaming. You never, or you always, this is just a generalized thing, but explaining is specific. So there might be a specific example that you go, hey, listen, listen, you know, in that post last week, it was dated on Monday, you know that post, and you share, uh, this, this offended me. This hurt me. I know, I know, you didn't you didn't mean to, you didn't know that you were actually hurting me or offending me by, by writing that post, but I just want you to know face to face because you're my brother or my sister and I love you. I just want you to know that, that that offended me. And I just don't want anything to be misinterpreted, so that's why we're having a face to face conversation. And I didn't just repost something or unlike something or stop following you. You with me? It's begin with explaining 
this specific thing and not blaming in a generalized sense of you always or you never. With the goal of that we want to be better and not bitter. We just want to be better. I I want our relationship to be better and I don't want to be bitter towards you. I don't want to have animosity. I don't want to have broken. Listen, all the enemy wants to do is divide people in the church. He wants to divide brothers and sisters in, in Christ. That's all that he wants to do is cause division. If Paul would say there's one thing most important when it comes to coexisting within the differences of the church with young and old and different experiences of different backgrounds and different beliefs and different understandings of scripture. He says, if anything is the most importantly, most important is that unity is found. Unity happens. And that needs to be the most important thing when it comes to our relationships and reconciling and reestablishing that relationship is unity must be found. And you need to go in saying, listen, I want this to be better. I don't want to be bitter towards you. When you go and show, here's what you need to know. There's a beam check. You need to believe the best. You need to begin with explaining and not blaming. And you need, you desire to be better and not bitter. And then, if that doesn't work, do it again. Do it again. In other words, take two. Take two. Jesus tells us that. Look what he says in verse 16. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So Jesus said, listen, how important is this? It's so important that you should take a couple people with you. You should take two with you, do it again if necessary, in order for their reconciliation to happen, in order for there be that, that conflict to be resolved. And they're not there to side with you. No, they're there to be witnesses and to make sure that every fact is confirmed. They're not there to say, okay, now it's three on one or four on one. You know, you're outnumbered now, bud. You know, you better get, you know, you better say you're sorry. No, they're there just to be a witness. They're there to just be, make sure that every fact is established and confirmed in a truthful way in a loving way. And all the steps that we talked about prior to this, you might just need to do that again. And if that doesn't work, you need to tell a few. If that doesn't work, you need to tell a few. Look what he says next, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, this is where we misinterpret what this is saying. This is, remember, when Jesus is teaching this concept, the church didn't exist. What we know is the church didn't exist. That word church is a word that we, we um, in the Greek for, is ekklesia, ekklesia. And it just means an assembly or in a gathering. And it means a, a, an intimate, religious, spiritual assemble of people. It doesn't mean anything else other than that. It doesn't mean, listen, I, you know, pastor, I, I went by myself. I took a few people. And now they're just not, they're just not you know, understanding my point of view. Can we you know, make them come to church? Can we trick them into coming to church? And then they can stand up in front of church and we can all call them out at church. Can we do that? Is that, would that be okay if we, you know, that's a bad interpretation of this. All this is saying is Jesus is saying, listen, in a loving way, in a, in a full of grace way, and in a full of truth way, that we just, you just take a few and say, we love you. 
We want the best for you. We don't want to be bitter. We don't want you to be bitter. We don't want you to be resentful. We just want better. We want better out of our relationship. And you go and show in a truthful way. Just you. And if that doesn't work, you take two. You take two. You take two in a way that you take a couple people with you and they, they you know, confirm the facts. And if that doesn't work, you take a few. Why? Because you love your brother. You love your sister. And you want the best for them. You want the best. He says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, when Jesus said this to his guys, here's what they thought. Good, we can now treat him poorly. We can now treat him like the Gentile traitor tax collector that he or she is. But that's not what Jesus meant by that. What they, have, what they heard was, was that was the interpretation, but that's not the interpretation that Jesus meant by that. What Jesus meant by that when he says Gentile, cheater, people who are hard to love, but, but you love anyways because Jesus loved. People who are hard to love, people, and man, I, I don't know, anybody know anybody that's hard to love? Okay, you raise it, okay, yeah, hard to love. But you love anyways, why? Because Jesus loved in that way. So when Jesus is saying, this is how you treat them then. If that's how you, this is how you treat them. If they, if they don't listen with you, they don't listen with two, and they don't listen with a few, you treat them in a way that I treated Gentiles, in the way that I treated tax collectors. Yeah, they're hard to love. Yeah, they're hard to love. But you love because Jesus loved those who are hard to love. That's what it means to be a servant. That's what it means to love in the Jesus kind of love. It's easy to love the people that are like you. It's easy to love the people that like you. But we know it gets challenging when Jesus says, hey, I want you to love your neighbor or love your enemy. I want you to pray for them. No, no, that's my enemy. I'm supposed to hate my enemy. No, no, Jesus said, no, no, no. My, in my world, as a follower of me, you love. Even those who are hard to love, even those who have different opinions than you, different beliefs than you, different orientations than you, different understandings, interpretations of things than you, even those people. Jesus says, I want you to love those people even when they're hard to love. You say, what, what if I can't? What if they, what if I, I, I mean, I, 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 t- I went quickly I, I went by myself, and that didn't work, and, and I, I took two, and that didn't work. I took a few, and that didn't work, and, and, and I'm trying to love them the way that I'm supposed to love, but I, I got to get rid of this, right? I've got to get this out of my system. I, I don't want to harbor anger and bitterness and resentment in my life. I, I got to get rid of this, and, and, and then they're not allowing me to be able to get rid of this out of my life. Well, Jesus even addressed that. Jesus said, look look at this, look at this. Same chapter, the next, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. At this point, Peter's going, I'm like super spiritual. 
Because Jesus is going to hear me say seven times, but he knows and I know that the law, the law of Moses only requires me to forgive three times. So I'm just going to double it and add one. And Jesus is going to think I'm so spiritual and godly. And Jesus' response to that was this. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but, I, but up to 70 times seven. And if you'd want to do the math at home, it's 490. I did it on my calculator before we started. <laughs> Jesus is going, Come, guys, guys, you, it, how you get rid, if, if they're not, if, if, if you're having a hard time reconciling, if you're having a hard time, you know, restoring and, 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 you know, dealing with and resolving conflict, if you're having a hard time with that and you're just needing to get rid of, because it's so important to get rid of anger, it's so important to get rid of malice, it's so important to get rid of rage, it's so important to get rid of resentment, you gotta get it out. And Jesus said the best way to do that the best way to do that is to forgive every single time. Not three times, not seven times, but 490 times if that's what it takes for you to rid yourself of something that only is gonna hurt you. You've got, I've got to forgive. What that did for Peter when he heard them say that was two things. It humbled him. He thought he was the man seven times. Yeah, seven times. Huh? Isn't that good, Jesus? Seven times. Jesus is like, that's weak. If you ever think that you can impress God, <laughs> you're way off, by the way. So it humbled Peter. It humbled Peter. And it taught this. It taught about habits, habits, because the habits are about repetition. And Jesus said, if you do something 490 times, you know what you're going to get in the habit of doing? Forgiving. Forgiving. I'm telling you, it's so important to get rid. So you got to go. Truthful you, go and show. Just you, face to face. Not Facebook to Facebook, face to face. And if that doesn't work, you need to take two. You need to do it all again. You need to take two. And if that doesn't work, you need to take a few. Take a few. And if that doesn't work, you just still love, you still love them even when they're hard to love you and I still love. And what about you? Well, you, me, we forgive. We forgive. And that will solve the issue of getting rid of the things that will only hurt us and not them in the long run. You need to forgive. How many times? Well, 70 times seven times. How about that? Let's start there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and the goodness that you exhibit to all of us. Help us not to be a stumbling block and resolve conflict in a biblical way that you've asked us to. To do it in a way that shows an, a good example to those that are young or new or, or weaker in the faith. That we don't 
hurt each other, even though we're not intentionally trying to do that. If we're just careful and thoughtful about what we say and what we, specifically what we post and hide behind our phones. And God, we're careful about, and, and, it, and if we are offended, we handle that correctly. We go to them and we tell them the truth, specific truth, not generalized things, but specific things. We just so badly just want to reconcile because that's what reestablishes relationship. That's what reestablishes unity. And that's what makes things better and not bitter. And Lord, we just want to be people that forgive. Forgive every time because that frees us up from the things that harbor in us that can only hurt us and no one else. I pray, Lord, that we're Follow these concepts every opportunity we have to resolve conflict. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.